Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Team Objection podcast for July 25th, 2023, episode 584. And look, the gang's all here. Who? Who is this guy on my, on my right? Even Dave managed to make it. Oh, me. Yeah, I'm the problem. I'm the problem. Remember when you missed like four straight shows, Sean? My prayers have been answered. Dave finally was able to make another show. Is that really? That's what you pray for? Oh, my prayers have been answered. Sean's fucking eating on camera. My favorite. Um, this episode brought to you by the habit. Just do it. What I like is we moved the show back a half an hour, which just gave Sean an extra half an hour to procrastinate. Like, why weren't you eating any time? And I assume, let's assume. You got off of work at five o'clock. This hair is like driving me nuts on this screen right now. I, let's assume you got off of work at five o'clock. I know it's just like not doing what uh-huh. I want there. So you got off work at five o'clock. Okay. It's eight o'clock right now. Uh-huh. So you work from home, which means yeah. the kitchen is a mere twenty feet. You're right, and I did nothing after work. I just jerked off in the kitchen for two and a half hours, and I showered really quick before the show. Um. The better question is, like, Chris, did you know about this? That he was, like, pleasuring himself in the kitchen? That's bad. It's not my place to ask. It's not my house. I, I mean, it is public space, in yeah, a way. The less I know, the better. You, you've heard plausible deniability, yes? I didn't say I'm, like, splooshing on the bananas. I'm just saying, like, it was happening. Well, I, just, I would be worried about eating things in that kitchen. And I visit that house from time to time, so now I'm That's worried. That's true, actually. Well, Now I'm worried. <laughs> makes you second-guess everything now, visit doesn't it? Visit your own risk. But even so, even so, in your explanation, it was two and a half hours. That's five to seven thirty. You could have eaten that salad at any time within the last half an hour. To be fair, yes. I started eating the salad. It's a big salad, though. Bullshit! I've seen you eat like seven hamburgers in twenty. Big. This was filled to the brim. I mean, it just takes a long time. You got to chew, you know. You don't want to choke. That's right. It helps your digest- uh, digestive system if you chew a lot too. Yeah, Dave, idiot. I, I, can't. I can't. I just can't. I just can't. We did a tier list last week, and so, well, there's a couple more I'd actually really be interested to do, especially with all three of us here. Couldn't do it this week. Trivia show was a possibility. Cody couldn't be here. He's coming back from, and this will shock you, Vegas. Again? So, yeah, again. It's like every three weeks now. And I know he's he's got the flexibility with his work, and I, I think he's now just about to be done being paid from his other job. But I guess t- take advantage of it while you can, because Lord knows none of us have very long breaks anymore. But without him and without Jason, who's the defending champion, felt like we couldn't do game show. So instead, I just gathered a bunch of news-related things that were topical, and I threw them together, and they had no idea about them until they see them on the right-hand side of the screen. Jason might be here next week, actually, for trivia. Cody will be so sad. but If he stays through Tuesday night, which I'll show you a thing afterwards, he may not be doing. But it is possible, yes. So we'll see. So I'm going to talk about these four things, and you guys are going to comment on them, and that's going to be the show. Awesome. It's like headlines without the bumper and without Molly reading things because she's dead. Are we Can't talking about it? the strike? Uh, no. Oh. We're on strike and strike. You, you could, I guess, but I want I mean, to start by amplifying an idiot, 
which is never a good practice. In theory, you should just be letting an idiot go off and do his own thing. But when this idiot's impact has worldwide consequences, I feel like it's only relevant to then bring it up. Now, this thing in particular, the rebranding of Twitter to X as of basically about, I don't know, four hours notice on Sunday, is not necessarily a bad thing all on its own. But it's like the latest in a string of incomprehensible and, fr quite frankly, stupid-ass decisions by Elon Musk, and now I wanted to talk about it. There's a few different things that really stick out to me about this, if you're not familiar. I mean, first of all, it's rebranded as X. Just X. Elon seems to have an exception, uh, obsession with X. He named his child X and a bunch of other random letters and bullshit. Space X. And X was actually, I think X.com was originally a, the, the name of PayPal's website way right. back in the day and he had to basically get the trademark updated to do this switch although there's questions about that trademark because it, it seems like meta also owns something related to x when and it has social media application microsoft has it because of xbox but there's also I, I saw claims that meta owns some applications for x on social media it's all kind of a mess and it's emblematic of everything that's happened over the last six months why so, here's, here's why did he do it did he well, give a reason I, I mean, more so, I think, I think, first of all, nothing I've seen on the Twitter app or anything has actually been rebranded with X. The logo on your phone is still the Twitter app. It's still Twitter.com. The bird is still there up top. Like, nothing so far has actually been rebranded. I almost feel like it's a bit of a publicity stunt, which would not put me above Musk. I don't know. I haven't seen any of I haven't seen anything change. Your feeling so, would be right. And the app has not been reflective of those changes, but the website has, although it's still Twitter.com, even online. But I mean, hell, Sean can see it right above the top of the recording screen. There's an X there, even though it still says Twitter next to my handle where my list is. So on online, not through the app, it has changed to the X, but it hasn't through all formats. They went through a whole thing yesterday of trying to change the logo in the headquarters, and then the police were called because they didn't have a permit to operate machinery in the street to do that on the outside of the building. So just like everything else Elon's done with Twitter since he acquired it, it seems half-assed, rushed, ill-conceived, and fucking dumb. I will only defend one thing. One thing that he's done with Twitter is I do kind of like the collection, the community notes. They're kind of like, hey, here's a topic. You comment on it, people. Like, I'm not going to be the arbiter of this. So people comment on it, and then you make your own decision. I kind of like that. But this has been confusing for the most part of, like, is kind of throwing shit at a wall, in a way. Yeah. It's like, hey, right. maybe this will work, maybe this won't. Uh, it, Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot to say on it. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Neither has a lot of the stuff he's done. It's all been on the whim. Like, I have an idea, and I want it implemented. Uh, That's that has uh, kind of represented his entire time there. So I'm more interested in the threads thing. And after hearing like, oh my God, it's the real deal. And then like hearing the usage has dropped by like 50% <laughs> since it started and then hearing conflicting reports. So I don't know what's happening with that. It's honestly threads is awful. I downloaded it because I was like, oh, okay, if this is what everyone's jumping ship from because they hate Musk, okay, I'll, I'll, like, I want to have the same information, and Threads is awful. Like, it gives no good information. It's like, doesn't have, you, you don't follow followers necessarily, it just follows what the algorithm wants you to see. It's terrible. 
absolutely terrible. So yeah, and they really expanded their user base because it was basically like a one button opt in and not easy to opt out. So if you just had an Instagram account, it's like, all right, click this button and you're in. Cool. And then if your engagement from that point is non-existent, well, you're still in the user base, but are you really a user if you don't actually engage with the app? So Threads has had issues. Meta, of course, has had issues for a long time. And now we've already been watching people sort of jump ship on Twitter. It's part of what led to Threads in the first place. But this one in particular kind of sticks out as like, I don't. what are we even doing anymore? Because I'm just confused by this as I am HBO Max dropping the HBO. It's like yeah, you have an too. established well-known brand, which, God, I mean, Sean, for you in particular, you're in marketing. The power of a name has so much meaning. Yeah. So to just throw it away for no reason, on a whim, like you said, I, because now it's like, what are you going to call your messages? X's? Because that name has its own connotation. And guess what happens if you talk about videos on X? You know, like X videos, like Twitter videos? X videos is the leading porn site in this country. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I just, it feels like maybe it was a little bit short-sighted and not thought through. I wonder if they, because, like, uh, I mean, name recognition is obviously important, but also for, like, uh, search engines, right, SEO. Maybe they think, like, we're too big for search engines. Like, no one's going to, uh, our user base isn't getting here because they've Googled something and they're arriving. So maybe they're like, we're above it and it doesn't matter. But then, like, why? What, Especially at HBO, what? What was the significance of changing that one? Well, at HBO, I don't even understand. I understand that one even less because at least with in a Twitter sense, it's kind of one person running it. And it's like, okay, if this is what he wants to do, HBO is owned by Time Warner, like one of the biggest conglomerates in the world. And they decided to drop a well-known brand for this thing. Not to mention, they also dropped a lot of TV providers from being able to sign in to Max. So now, like, if you had Cox Cable and you subscribe to HBO, you can no longer log into Max through that subscription anymore. So it's like you just lost a bunch of user base that way, too. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's confusing. Completely. It doesn't make any sense. And that's why I'm like, I, we talked about bringing up the strike and this sort of... Uh, is a way to do it. Basically what it comes down to is billionaires just having no clue, just so out of touch with everything having to do with their business. And it, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me, but then maybe it does because they're billionaires and, and I hate them. Generally, they're not billionaires by making poor decisions, you know, like right. the ones who make it to CEO level of massive companies they stick around as CEOs because they've been able to profit the brand. But like, uh, yeah, and you're right. But like it, in 2023, have we ever seen so many CEOs just like completely exposed as being like idiots? Um, like I, Iger, uh, Musk, Zuckerberg, just like they're, they're, they're collecting so many L's between all these uh, Zaslav, I think he's the HBO or Warner Brothers, or he was, and now he's not. I don't know anymore, but I think we're finding out that people that are CEOs, I think we're finding out that a lot of times people in those levels of position are actually socially kind of weird in the sense of they're a lot of times they're maybe manic and very focused or some sort of very focused of their job and they don't have the social skills and that's why they're successful in some way. So now when they're thrust into the social sphere, we see what's out there in them in maybe a way that we haven't in the past. I don't maybe. know. Maybe. I think you're right, but it's bad business decisions too. So it's not like, oh, there goes Zuckerberg talking about diddling kids again. It's like, it's not a lot of that. It's like the business decisions, the metaverse, threads, 
Twitter rebranding. Disney's I, had a string of losses. The, these places are so big, though, that like what, like what's it cost them? Disney's not losing market share necessarily. They own most of the market. Yeah, well, as much talk as there's been about the downfall of Twitter over the last six months, in particular. Yeah. It's still there. Its user base has dwindled a bit, but it's still like the seventh biggest website in the world. Mm-hmm. It hasn't fallen off that much. Maybe it's still heading that direction. I mean, it can only take so much before people are just going to jump off in droves. But for all the talk about, oh, that's the end of Twitter. Oh, that's the end of Facebook slash Meta. It's not yet. It's so maybe that's different. like Twitter in general, where it's just overblown and it's people talking up something that the market's actually not ready to deliver. It was funny when we had that, like, three months ago or four months ago when people were literally tweeting, like, is this the last tweet I'll ever have? And it's like, what are you talking about? Why would, why, why would that happen? I never understood that. And also I can't understand Musk in the way he presents himself. I mean, I kind of can. He seems like he's a guy who's got so much money that he doesn't really give a shit what people think of him in some ways. He's got other successful, really successful companies that have done really cool things. Like SpaceX had some awesome launches and some really cool technology. It's like, holy shit, I can't believe people pull this off. Yet, the way he presents himself as a public persona is just so off. He's an edgelord. Yeah. It's a word I I didn't think I would be applying to the richest man in the world, or second richest, depending on what day you look at the charts, because he keeps oscillating with all of his decisions. He feels like he's 50, and he feels like a 29-year-old acting 14. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. And I'm not really sure who it's trying to appeal to. I think it's appealing to himself and his massive ego, and that's it. I don't think it's really trying to, like, well, let's hit this demographic. It's just he's a fucking whiny man-child, and no one has enough money or power to stop him from doing whatever he wants, so he does whatever he wants. It seems relatively when, simple in a way. I mean, what you there's different levels of wealth that I've heard people describe. There's the fuck you money, which is I've got enough money to screw you over. And then there's fuck me money, where I'm I'm going to screw myself over to get back at you type of thing. And he absolutely has that level of money. So he does that when he wants to, I guess, because it hasn't hurt him at yeah, all. He's going to take like a $14 billion loss on Twitter, at least when all mm-hmm. is said and done. It's already taken that hit from what he paid for it. I mean, and, but like something like Disney... If they continue, it's not like Red Alarm yet, right? I mean, they're huge. But it's not trending in a good direction. As in, if it keeps with Elon Musk, let's say, I mean, let's see Twitter bankrupts, like whatever. Drop in the bucket for him at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. For Disney? Uh, I don't know. The With the, the parks and uh, the parks having issues and DeSantis and movies flopping one after the other. And uh, and these strikes now have it's like, I don't know, it, you need to figure something out. I mean, there's always been the companies that you thought, well, they're never going to go anywhere. Sears, you know, is yeah, exactly. radio channel, those types of things. You're just like, holy, like 30 years ago, 40 years ago, if you would have told me Sears is all but gone, you'd be like, what are you talking about? Sears. I mean, there's a lot of those. Sears. I would we just watched the Blackberry movie. Mm-hmm. Which at I mean, the end it reminded you, BlackBerry was basically at fifty percent of the market share of fo- of uh, of smartphones. They have zero today. Yeah, they're done. Yeah. They're dead completely. Yeah. 
I mean, blockbuster, the same type of deal because they don't keep up. And so I think that kind of wraps up a lot of what the a lot of companies do is that they've seen the past where if you stay stagnant, you stay static. That's when you lose. Blockbuster thought that they whatever. No one's going to get into the streaming thing. It's not going to work. Well, they didn't jump in when they should have. And now they're gone. And so maybe these companies just are always trying these things and failing miserably in the hope that they find the one thing that works. Well, it circles back to what you said earlier, is people being out of touch. Yeah. And I've seen that in my industry. I've seen that in a whole variety of industries of people that don't understand what happens at the ground level because they've ascended too far beyond it. And look, it's very easy to be anti-CEO. Ultimately, you do have to be responsible for every decision that happens from every employee underneath you, which I think is undervalued. But at the same time, when you look at worker pay versus CEO pay over the last 40 years, worker pay has gone up a little bit slightly underneath the rate of inflation, and CEO pay has gone up like 1,000%. I'm not exaggerating. That number is yeah. somewhere in the four figures. So, like, at the same time, I don't really give a shit. I certainly shed no tears when CEOs fucked themselves over. Yeah. Well, and then you no, get, I... again, the, with the strikes, uh, yeah, I'm sure you've all read this, uh, Iger saying uh, they're just not being realistic, the people striking. And it's like everyone was quick to jump on that and point out he was saying that from, I guess, like some kind of billionaire retreat after just getting <laughs> off of his private jet these people are being unrealistic. Like what's unrealistic. Are you kidding? And it's like, no, you're just out of touch completely. And the answer is very simple. I wonder how much the SAG after, you know, the groups that the writers guild, the screen actors guild, like the ones that are really, the fact that the act, a lot of actors are in on it too, is a big help in there. But I wonder how much they learned from the previous strike 10, 15 years ago. Not much. It seems, I mean, this is I about d- a different thing. Cause you know, back then it was about streaming and that whole burgeoning market and now it's more so about ai and that future and how that's going to impact more of the rank and file but look people like to point at both the ceos and the big actors involved in this but it's like 90 percent of actors make less than 40k a year yeah exactly that's what we're striking for it's yeah. not about what george clooney is going to do if he can't promote whatever the fuck movie yeah it's about what's this guy who's in the background of eight different movies this year going to do when he can barely feed his family and then yep. what's going to happen if his job well, gets eliminated by yeah. AI completely? And this one is very much streaming. Yeah, I mean, AI is a big part of it. But, it's both, But sure, the way but... that um, actors get paid um, when residuals from reruns, right? Well, that's not the same on a streaming platform. And so that's a, a way to screw people out of a lot of money. And, of course, these CEOs and decision makers are only too quick to find those loopholes to screw as many people as possible. And the percentage of, like, these billionaire salaries it would take to just completely cover all the demands um, is such a fraction, but you become a billionaire, not because you can make decisions like, Oh, well for the greater good, you become a billionaire because you just hoard everything and you don't really care about humanity at large. You approach the profits of the company because that's what you're expected and told to do by all your shareholders, unfortunately. And that's the way it works. And if you don't, you don't get to be CEO anymore, which kind of sucks in the way that it's set up. But that's the model, unfortunately. That's like the hidden power of shareholders. It's the hidden power of people who really advocate in Washington, you know, people with money who really pay towards certain congressmen or whatever. So it's like you're supposed to be representative, but you're not because these people actually have the power. They're the ones with the sway not the ones that you elected into these spots or put into these spots. Uh, if in the case of shareholders, like you said, you can vote out a CEO whenever you want if they're not at the par. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about like the com- company money. I'm talking purely salary. So something that should be a very easy decision. X percent of your salary could cover whatever. I mean, you really get down to it. You're talking about like world hunger. It's 
it's it would not be that hard but eh, I, I will on that i mean it's it's a temporary thing that's always the issue is that yeah you could solve it for this year but can you solve it in perpetuity not so much and that's maybe where it it, it's such a small percentage of these of these south of these uh net I profits i haven't seen those numbers where it's that small of a percentage Look but it up. It's not like 50% because even I would be like, okay, I know we're talking billions of dollars, but like at some point the percentage is too much, whether it's 50% of a hundred dollars or a billion. That's a, that's a huge chunk. I'd have to see a percentage because I'm interested in that now, but I I don't know the number. So I'm not going to, I don't know. I'd be willing to guess it's extremely small uh, Mm. per year. And then if you say, well, do it for 10 years, do it for 20 years, maybe, but I mean, maybe start with a year. I, but again, people say, well, that's it's never going to happen because that's not the mentality of giving and spreading the greater good that has elevated Jeff Bezos to where he is now, where he squeezes his employees for every cent. Like, that's that's not the mentality. Yeah, it's well, in Amazon, that's what people want to have is they want to have their stuff here tomorrow. And yeah. that's what they expect. So and, uh, you know, and if he was the type of personality, he may or may not be a billionaire. Um, and that's just, that's kind of the model. That's how it works. And why I never will be one. <laughs> Great. Well, I think you could, you have the, um, what's a worse word than frugal miserly. You're miserly enough. You, that's just, bullshit you know it. <laughs> you just haven't, you don't have the income. I, I'm, uh, 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 Potter. Yeah. Mr. Potter from, yes, uh, yes. With the exactly. Penguins. Yeah. The penguins. Right. You're Mr. Potter without the money. Ah, that's but the attitude want. is all you. <laughs> someone leave like $8,000 at the bank and I'll just pick it up. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's talk about a cultural phenomenon that was actually a positive over the weekend. And that's Barbenheimer. Oh my God. Which I don't even really like the name of, to be honest, but I like the concept. I do. Um, the name is whatever. It's like the laziest thing you could think of. But I think it's funny that they're even combining them in the first place because... I don't know that you could find two things that are more diametrically opposed. You probably could if you worked hard at it, but these two things have almost nothing in their Venn diagrams that overlap, other than they're both movies. But Barbie opened to the biggest opening of the year, which I was not expecting, despite all the buzz and the social marketing and whatnot. $337 million worldwide. It beat the Super Mario movie, which also put up huge numbers. But this is now the best movie of the year. And Oppenheimer, not too shabby, about half of that, about 170-something million as well worldwide. The best opening weekend since Avengers Endgame. So that's four years back now. And of course, that was a huge deal. We just talked recently about how big of a deal Infinity War and then eventually Endgame were. So I thought it was interesting for a couple different reasons. But first, your guys' thoughts on the phenomenon and just in general. I mean, I love it. I I love that it's too... I mean, you can say Barbie is an established brand. But as far as movies go, it's a two new franchises coming yep. in. When a bunch of franchises have been flopping left and right, I, you know, if you want to call Mission Impossible 7 a flop, I don't think that's probably fair, but it definitely didn't do what it was expected to do. No. It lagged behind expectations. Yeah, not and, a flop, but you're yeah. right. It was probably underneath what they wanted. Yeah. Um. So this is great. Uh. And I, so I, I read something. It's like, oh, you know that Barben, uh, Barbie Heimer or Barbenheimer or whatever is just a marketing tool like this wasn't an organic thing this is something the studios pushed out i was like if that's true it's brilliant i i actually wonder i think studios maybe this is a new model sort of because normally what's your advertising strategy 
uh, promote your movie. And don't go see the other movies. Promote our movie only. This was like, you know what? Go see both movies. And I got to be honest. It's like, oh, that's kind of cool. It's like a cultural phenomenon. And I can, I definitely ran through my head. Could I go see both of these movies and like join in whatever the, 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 the this blitz? And it's cool where I wouldn't have really considered it otherwise. And I well, wonder if we're going to see more of that in the future. Just I mean, go see both this, movies. This one was really, this one was unique in the sense that they're so opposite. And I, I don't know if you can capture that magic in a bottle again. Like you can't have, you know, um, the, the um, Paw Patrol movie coming out alongside the Resident Evil movie coming out and say, hey, people, go see these two movies together. Like it just doesn't fit. And it, I don't know that it'll fit again in the future. It is really crazy to me how much social media does truly influence people, though. Like, I I saw like I saw people talking about Barbenheimer. And I'm like, what the hell is this all? Like, why are they comparing these two? And I Googled it because I'm like, what is this all about? And I'm like, oh, they just come out on the same day. And yeah, go all- see both. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I I don't know. It was it was really it was kind of almost a step back moment of like, holy shit, this is really influential on people because they see the trending stuff on Twitter. They see an X, sorry, I said the wrong name. Uh, they see the reels on Instagram. They see the TikToks, whatever the hell they see. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go see both because that's what everyone's doing. Ugh, man, I, I like almost proceeded from that where I'm like, no, I, everyone's doing it. Nope, I don't want to do it. Yeah, but there's still so many to be said for the fact that this worked. Because mm-hmm. we see attempts at viral marketing all the goddamn time. Remember Morbius? Remember? Yeah, yep. It's Morbin time? Remember? And they're like, oh, well, now the movie will definitely oh. take off this time. So they released it a second time, and it still fucking flopped. Yeah. Twice. That's... Now, that was something that was created outside of their control. The studio didn't make its Morbin time. Fans made fun of it. It's not even in the movie. And eventually it was like, oh, look at all this groundswell of support. Maybe this will work. It didn't. But I just mean in general, how many different marketing campaigns are out there every year? Super Bowl commercials, everything else on the biggest stage, and it doesn't make a foothold. So while, yes, it does speak to maybe too much power in marketing, I think it's a rare opportunity to find something like this that worked. I think it deserves praise. I think it's cool. I would be really interested in the percentage of people who saw both in the same weekend. Um, And then I would love to break that down by... How many people there? It's very small percentage, but some people just live at the movie theater. I mean, they go all the time. So what's the percentage of people who saw both of these movies who normally would not have seen both of these movies in the opening weekend? I would love to see those numbers. I think it's honestly just the case of two movies that people wanted to see. And And it's that simple. Movies. What? How many people bought both tickets? Oh, you're right. Yeah, well, the yeah. traditional double feature sometimes is just you sneak into the second one. Yeah. You're in the theater already and you go, okay. But I mean, Doug's right. Doug mentioned in the chat, like, you know, double features used to be a much bigger thing. Yeah, I mean, it used to be appointment viewing. It would be like, oh, we're going to go see this back to back. And, you know, that's kind of been lost because now, I mean, you mentioned Mission Impossible. Think about how many different big movies have opened in the last three months. Kind of unusual for this early in the year. You usually see that like midsummer and then again, towards like Thanksgiving into the holidays. But we're talking right now, these two movies did this well with Mission Impossible, with Indiana Jones. Remember Indiana Jones? That's a thing that was only like three weeks ago, I think. Uh, Spider-Verse is still in plenty of theaters. Elemental is still in plenty of theaters. Transformers is still in some theaters. That's a big deal. And yet it did this well, and it was with two opening the same day. Usually we've got studios putting dates out. You know, fucking Avatar 5 is in the... October 21st, 2031, or whatever it is. It has a date, right? So that they carve out their spot. This is our spot. This is the week we're opening. 
So to Sean's point, maybe this is going to make people rethink the whole idea of like, well, we can't open against that. That's too big a deal. Maybe that's a good thing yeah. if it's the right movie and they're good. Yeah. I think it's really cool. And I, I mean, I'm going to see both. Obviously, I'm not going to see opening weekend because I missed it already. But because uh, I've seen Mission Impossible a week later. What was a just out of curiosity? What's your desire to see both? Was that desire to see both movies there prior to the marketing or? No, no, no. Well, and that was my question. But so what I was going to say is I think I think too much is made about like, why did this movie like do so well? Like, what about their marketing? What about like the demographic? Did they just hit on the special weekend? 90% of the time it comes down to was the movie good or was it bad Indiana Jones oh like what's going on does Harrison Ford not have the same pulling powers no the movie just kind of sucked and it, there's some other factors but like had the movie gotten a lot of really great buzz I think it would have recouped a lot more of its budget yeah um, so these are just both really good movies I mean I don't if Barbie got middling reviews there's no way I would go see it uh, Margot Robbie's fine uh, I you know I don't she's not one of my wives I don't love her but the movie got great reviews. Uh, Oppenheimer got great reviews. So I'm going to go see them both. And we had the same problem with we talked about like superhero fatigue. Well, was it that people were tired of the MCU? Well, more recently, the answer might be no, given the success of Guardians 3. It's just that some of those movies might not have been very good. Yeah. Spider-Verse, same idea. How many goddamn Spider-Man movies have we had in the last 20 years? 11? Yeah. But it's really, really good. So it doesn't really matter. It's just if it's good, people will see it. The word of mouth will spread and the results will be good. Yeah. I was just curious about this. So I was thinking the other day, like, and this is not the third track rock under the bus. So he, he talked about Christopher Nolan's becoming the Tom Cruise of directors. Yeah. I mean, people go out to see his movies cause his, his, um, approach is really unique. A big part of that approach people is no CGI. Maybe we can like take some notes. Um, maybe that like matters this, this pretty obvious thing that you should know, but you don't, um, my only question is the Tom Cruise thing. Everyone's like, oh, Tom Cruise, he's like box office gold. And I'm like thinking he's had so many flops. I, when we talk about his success, we think of Top Gun Maverick. We think about some of the Mission Impossible movies, but then we forget like he was in the Mummy reboot that like killed an entire Dark Monsters universe <laughs> that they were trying to do. He's in like flop movies all the time. So I, I think the narratives are really interesting sometimes that get pushed. And what we're willing to overlook or ignore to push whatever we're trying to say. Yeah. If you like somebody, you're really willing to ignore that type of thing. Or you have, it, it is a weird phenomenon how that happens where it's like, oh, I'll overlook this because we like them. Yeah. Well, we, we use this in sports all the time, including that word narratives. But it's interesting to see it leaking into other pop culture now because you didn't really have those type of discussions before. Now it's like, okay, are, is this person overrated or not? Are they properly hyped up? Are they not? I think it's a fair point because it's like, I think you remember the highs and you sort of bury the lows if you like the person. Now, if Tom Cruise had some kind of scandal come out, and I'm talking about more so than just like jumping on Oprah's couch, then maybe the narrative shifts. And now it's, oh, well, you know, he had those successes, but what about all his failures? Maybe he wasn't as good as we thought. And it's all because of the conversation. It has nothing to do with the results. Well, and then with Flash, who all didn't go see that movie because of Ezra Miller? I'd be really curious because I think the studio is going to be really quick to point to Ezra Miller as the reason nobody saw that movie. Well, maybe it was a really distasteful CGI of dead people that you put into the movie, or maybe the movie just wasn't very good. Uh, or maybe there's a lot of confusion being caused by is Snyderverse, James Gunnverse, which is which what's canon, what's happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's all narrative based. So who fucking knows? Yeah. 
I mean, if you wanted to frame it by a certain narrative, the Mummy ended up making like four hundred million or something. It was just like you said, it destroyed an entire setup. And even then, relative to how much it costs, it barely made any money. So it's like, but you can still say, yeah. well, it's a draw. That movie did well. It wasn't because of Tom Cruise the movie didn't do well. And it's like, well. Well, that illustrates another really interesting, like, phenomenon of, like, Temple movies. Temple, which is hilarious. Temple is, Dave, the idea that, oh, this is a huge movie. And then all these smaller movies can, like, thrive under the tent that is created by this Temple movie. A lot of studios are like, well, what if every movie is for is like a budget of three hundred fifty million dollars? They're all tent poles. Think about how big we can make the tent. It's like that's so that that actually plays into this is the second topic we've had that sort of does play into the writer strike and what's a mid level movie now? It's a tent pole or it's an indie movie, and like that's not a good model either. All consequences of decisions from CEOs and the culture that's being built. It's really interesting. It's really well, it's in, in movie go- because movie going has changed so much now, you know, I mean, so often people will watch at home, they'll stream it. It's not that long to wait for VHS to come out so much easier to consume the media at home. It, it's crazy how that cha- has changed. And so I don't know, I've heard people talk about the theater going experience where the theaters are getting larger in a sense, because you only want to see the big movies in theater that are the experiences and smaller ones, maybe you don't go as much. I don't know. It seems to be a trend in that direction. Well, that sort so. of speaks to the success of the two that we're talking about, though. I mean, Oppenheimer makes sense as appointment viewing, especially on IMAX, given the scope of its visuals and how it was shot and all of that. Like, that makes sense. There's really nothing compelling you to see Barbie in theaters. What compelled people, though, was the fact that it was good. It got good reviews, but it was the cultural phenomenon side of it that was like, I want to experience this. Yeah. It was that Game of Thrones-esque idea where it's like, I'm going to be missing out if I don't know what's going on with this. So I'm going to go see this in theater. I'm not going to wait five or six weeks or more for it to show up on a streaming platform. And that, I think, should be the biggest takeaway for studios in all this. Yeah. You can't obviously recapture this lightning every single time, but you should be looking to try. It's the live sports type of deal where if you miss it at the time, then you miss the experience. And that's what they have to do. To clarify, The Mummy was $80 in the U.S., um, which is... Which is not which is bad, um, and it lost sixty to hundred million dollars. Yeah, uh, yikes, yikes! But I mean, the Mission Impossible movies. But that's also Tom Cruise selling. I did this stunt. Come see it. Which is, uh, admittedly, like good on him. It's awesome. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, this is interesting. I want to look up like Tom Cruise successes and failures. We can go to the next topic though. Just Google Tom Cruise movies that flopped. Uh, Rock of Ages, Magnolia. Those are uh, like old ones, though. Yeah, oh, I know. I'm just, Magnolia just, is one of those like cult classics where it has a devoted fan base. It just didn't do well. Yeah, uh, American Made. Uh, I don't know if that did very well. I, I, you know what? I'm gonna come back with this. Night and Day. I can't imagine did very well. Oh, Jack Reacher. That was the other one I thought of. That really was not very successful and not was not really well received either. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. oh, you're going to have a hard time working the writer's strike into our third topic, but I'm excited to okay. see you try. I'll try. Uh, I was a little bit surprised this morning because it seemed to happen out of nowhere, and it also seemed like it happened the day before, which was a bit odd. We'll get to that in a second. But uh, for the people who don't see, you know, if you're on the podcast side or whatever, uh, LeBron's son basically had cardiac arrest on the court yesterday and was taken to a local medical facility, has since been discharged and seems to be okay. But we're talking about, you know, the son 
of a massive athlete, maybe the biggest in the world right now, probably messy, but whatever. You're you're splitting hairs at that point. And now it's like we, it's so much has been made of the last couple of years about LeBron's comments about like, well, I'm going to play with my son. Whatever team he gets drafted to, I'm going to. And it's been the source of debate and whatever. That dream could be gone because, you know, the cautionary tale here is that we've had other players try to come back from something like this and a couple have died while playing. Now, I'm not trying to be all doomsday and shit. We don't even know the full prognosis. We don't know what's happening. But the fact remains that this throws his career in doubt before it's even started. He's at USC. He's not even really thinking about the NBA just yet. And now it's like, that's... I was pleased to see that, given that we've been talking about social media and whatnot, the response was usually very good, except for anti-vaxxers who can go fuck themselves. Oh, yeah. But overall, there was no... there was, As many people like, like to take shots at LeBron, and sometimes he brings them on himself with his wine mom social media portrayal. Everybody was universal when the, you know, prayers up for Bronny. Like, it was no fucking around. It was all it was all well-received. So I was happy to see that. But still, it's like, this also happened to Shaq's son. And it's like, I guess it just goes to show you, maybe even genetics don't necessarily matter in this. It could just be luck of the draw because it's like, all right, you have special athletes' DNA in you, but you may also have something else that's lingering, some kind of time bomb, and you have no idea. Yeah, it, it was the weirdest thing to just see. It was one of those, I had to read it a couple times. And I'm like, wait this is they're talking about the same like lebron james kid right and that was unfortunately i mean after i saw that you know he'd been discharged and everything and was okay for now at least that was the first thing i thought is like man is this gonna affect this kid going forward like is this gonna be that thing where you know it's been talked about since this kid was 10 years old basically of when lebron's gonna be able to play with his son and it's you know, that doesn't happen in sports that much. It's like Ken Griffey and Ken Griffey Jr. was like one of the only situations I can think of where the father and son played at the same time type of deal. And I, I thought that was kind of a cool idea and story, but I I, I hope he turns out okay. Uh, I hope his health is okay, first of all, um, because from what I heard, his uh, talent level might not have been there to make it in the first place. And now this on top of it is really scary. Yeah. <laughs> My approach is I just have so many questions like, yeah, and I'm, we're not going to know the answers and they might not ever share the answers, but like what contributed to this? Did just a genetic weird thing? Was it overworking? Was it performance enhancers? I'm not trying to insinuate anything. Even the purely legal, regular stuff can be hard on your body. Was it just like overdoing it on like, there's just who knows? But, uh, yeah, that that's rough. I, and I would love to see the trend. Like, is this happening more? Are we just hearing about it more now? And it's always kind of happened to random people. I don't know. Yeah, it's tough because Sharif, Shaq's son, had to have a medical procedure done to even get to the point where he could consider playing again. We have no idea what's going on, with, again, with, with Ronnie in this particular case, but... There's also the, uh, God, what's the guy's name who, uh, Reggie, uh, there's a player who had this happen in the NBA. I don't know if he died in the NBA. I think he continued his professional career, maybe overseas, and then had a cardiac arrest on the court. It couldn't be resuscitated, and that was that. I think it was like 27 or 28 when he died. And yeah, medical stuff has increased significantly since then. I want to say that was the early 90s, but it's like, man... To think that you have your future ahead of you, and maybe you don't know what that future is. Again, like you said, we don't know if Bronny was going to actually hang at the NBA level. The name and the prospect of maybe getting LeBron to join your team with him would certainly have carried more weight than some run-of-the-mill prospect. 
but we have no idea still to have it all just change in a second. I guess it's kind of sobering because it's like he's much younger than us. I think he's 20 and he's whatever else is going on with him genetically. He seemed to be in good shape. He's yeah. young and he's got LeBron's DNA. So like, you know, there's a good athlete in there somewhere just goes to show you, I guess you never fucking know. And it's one of those reminders that we seem to get on an occasional basis and then forget about within a few days. Yeah. It, and again, like you said, we'll never, we won't know the answer to the questions. I mean, they always, they already said that, you know, they want privacy, they, you know, whatever, all that. And you have to, you have to give that respect to them, but it's, I don't know. It does seem like this is kind of a, a his career is kind of almost over before it starts, which is sad in its own way. Yeah. Cause like you said, that doesn't, it shouldn't be fair to talk about draft stock in relation to this, but if he was already a fringe pick, now you're weighing the, also the possibility of what's the medical going to be like. If mm-hmm. you have him join your team, yeah. because even if you do get LeBron with that, he'll be almost 40 and his time will be limited and he's going to have deteriorated more. I mean, it's impressive that he stayed at this level, but the clock is ticking. It's inevitable. It comes for everybody. So like it might be enough to maybe stop a team from doing it. I guess the flip side is maybe you can bring Bronny in without having to draft him, you know, sign him up for a G league team or bring him in as a non-drafted player. But, I don't know. And it's too early to be worried about that shit. It's more about his health. But yeah. all those questions spring up, and it's like, man, one day you're in a practice for USC and everything's fine, and the next day it's all fucking different. Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to see what, uh, how his season, if his season goes, and if it if it goes, unfortunately, yeah. for USC. Damn. Jack yeah. Rock mentions Reggie Lewis. That's the guy's name, 93. Oh, so I mean, it's 30 years up. later, but, yeah. you know, precautionary tale nonetheless. Yeah. And then I indulged myself because when we were trying to come up with show topics, nobody else helped. So I put the last one on for me, but I actually think it's interesting because it's not really about disc golf and it's more about the issue of transgender people in sports. Ah, great. So I'll give you a quick, like one and a half minute summary of this. And then I can kind of answer questions as we fend this off. But essentially there is a male to female transgender woman named Natalie Ryan, who's been playing in the FPO division, which stands for female pro open. And it's been the source of controversy because there have been some athletes in that division who have pushed back on her inclusion. We've seen this in other sports. We've seen this in competitive swimming. We've seen this in high school sports in Arizona and otherwise. It's not just limited to disc golf, but it's interesting in disc golf because it's happening at the highest level. We're not talking about high school level kids where there's, you know, 0.2% of the entire list of student athletes is like, it, that's what you would consider transgender. It's a minuscule percentage, but it gets played up for like Republican media, right? In this case, there is a transgender woman playing on the pro tour for a sport. Now, last year, Natalie had some particularly inflammatory comments about the other competitors in her division, saying they didn't work hard enough, saying that they had been lazy, which may not have been completely off base. I think they definitely have had to try a lot harder the last couple of years as competition has increased, but didn't come across very well for someone that people, at least from some walks of life, didn't think should be in the division at all. So to have somebody come in and say those things made Natalie an enemy to a lot of people. What happened in the last few months has been the most interesting. They, the, the Professional Disc Golf Association and the Disc Golf Pro Tour are two separate entities. So the PDGA is like the mother body of everything, just like the PGA. But the Disc Golf Pro Tour runs all the events for the pros, and the only time they overlap is the majors. They made a ruling, the Disc Golf Pro Tour, that Natalie would not be allowed to play in certain tournaments. They cited, you know, testosterone levels and other requirements that the Olympics have sort of looked at as far as like what designates male and female for the sake of competition. 
Natalie then sued to be able to play, and in certain states, that suit was allowed. So the courts said, say, in California, where they have a little bit more left-leaning, let's say, values, that you have to, you can't discriminate against her based on this criteria, so she must be allowed to play. Mm-hmm. There was a tournament a month ago where a court overruled the Pro Tour and said she must be allowed to play. She played the first round. She was one shot off the lead, and then a higher court overturned that ruling, and she was disqualified from the tournament. So in the span of 48 hours, the issue came to a head in a pretty ugly way. The Pro Tour eventually said, all right, we're not going to be able to keep fighting these legal battles. It's mounting these expenses. So we're going to cancel the FPO division at five events in states where we think lawsuits will be pending. So there was just going to be the MPO division, which is not male pro open. It is mixed pro open because anyone can enter, including women, and that's happened in the past. And instead of having both divisions playing, two weeks before a tournament, they said, well, this tournament is not happening. We'll try and find some other location for it in another state, which, by the way, is not going to happen. You don't just make a tournament happen in the span of like a week. That's impossible. So it's been very interesting just to see this come to a head because there's a very legitimate conversation to be had here about two very important tenets. One, that transgender people should be able to live their life the way they please. But two, that protected divisions exist in sports for a reason. That's the same thing with age divisions, and Disc Golf has these. 40+, plus, which is what I'm going to be entering here in two years, has its own division because as you get older, your skills start to deteriorate. So all of this has become this massive maelstrom that other sports are now watching, even though it's just little old Disc Golf, because of what it means for the implications of all sports going forward. Is it possible, is it possible to be supportive of transgender as a whole? while also establishing that, that, like you said, there's these mix and divisions for a reason. like Not according to certain groups, um, yeah. but I'm with that's you. I, that's, that's a struggle. That's why it's so comp- – this is I, – I almost don't even want to touch it because it's so complex and it's so complicated, but I think you phrase it really well of like you can be supportive, but these – divisions exist for a reason and i know in uh the question that i was going to ask chris is i know in the swimming example it was just she came in and was just shattering every record that existed Mm -hmm. by like she wasn't winning she was slaughtering it wasn't even close was is that the case with the disc golf or was it like pretty competitive still like what She's not the best. Okay. A player named Kristen Tatar is the best. She's almost 1,000 rated. It's never been done by a woman. She's been crushing it for the last 18 months or so. But Natalie Ryan did beat her in a tournament last year. Okay. And unsurprisingly, that was the point at which this became a much bigger conversation. Right. Okay. Because when she was finishing you know, 16th, nobody really cared. There were whispers here and there. And that undercurrent of hatred that you mentioned that just exists for transgender people in general was part of what drove that. Because people would misgender her all the time, dead name her, whatever. So it's not exactly apples to apples in this case because Natalie is a decent player. You could argue that she's become better quicker than she might have otherwise. But it's not like she's just destroying the yeah. division. There's two players who are clearly demonstrably better than her and probably more than just that. But one of the best, it sounds like, still. Yeah, I mean, the women's tour is not exactly super deep. It's getting there. It used okay. to be there was like four players who could win in a given week, and that was it. Now that number is probably up to 15. There's only maybe 50 or 60 players in these tournaments, whereas the men's side usually has about 120. But the fact remains that there is the question of if you are male to female and you come into the sport, can you naturally then throw farther, 
more powerful, have better stamina. Right. Have, and those questions are things that people have opinions on, but we have not really had a chance to test with much science yet. Well, and like what's interesting, so I do like trapeze and the there is, you know, you're doing moves that are a blend of strength, balance, flexibility. And the advice they give men and women to do these moves is different to correspond to natural tendencies of the body. So, and, and the advice makes sense. Like the advice that I get as I tend to be a little more top heavy and like, you know, certain other things as opposed to somebody, uh, some of my female counterparts where their flexibility and their balance is a lot better. Um, and so the, the idea that we can't acknowledge that there are differences and strengths and weaknesses on both sides, I feel like is like not realistic and that's what makes us really challenging. But like you said before, should they not be allowed to live their lives? Well, no. So uh, they should be. No, they, yeah, they shouldn't be. Uh, the, hardest part, the hardest part of all of that is that you want to be supportive of someone living their life. Like an adult out there feels as though they were born into a wrong gender and therefore wants to go through procedure change whatever they want to do in order to fulfill their life in the way they want to great i have like there's no issue yeah. with that that's something that a person wants to do when you start taking in this case a male to female and you use some of the natural differences that occur in testosterone when you're born as a male to then beat competition that are naturally you know that were born female it's difficult because you're affecting other people now in that and again it's hard to even have the conversation because it feels like if you have a differing opinion you are not supportive in which you are but you're also supportive of the other people who are affected by this at the same time so the conversation is very difficult to have while still being exclusionary to the fact that a person like this may it may not be fair for her to be in this division because of what she was born as it's unfortunate but i don't know what the answer <laughs> that that's what it comes down to it's like the answer is so tough it's fine. We're having a minor meltdown on Dave's screen. If you're not, if he did a good job muting, to be fair, so the podcast listeners have no idea, but we've seen, we saw what happened. Dave dropped the mic. Basically, he said his piece. Now he's <laughs> yeah, he's like, all right, I've, I've done it. I'm out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the biggest issue is there is a division that currently exists that Natalie can play in, and it's mixed pro open. She's about a 960 rated player. Most pros are a thousand plus. The tippy top are all on the men's side are all 1030 plus. So there's no way in hell she would compete at that level unless she got a lot better. I mean, I'm 932 now. It's the highest I've ever been. So I'm not that. I'm I'm closer to Natalie than Natalie is to pro level competition. And I'm not very good. I mean, I'm decent, but like I'm not. You know, I'm not going to make the pro tour. It's too. I'm too old. It's over. I don't know what you do with this. I think the divisions exist for a reason. The age ones certainly do. It's why there's not only just going up. You know, 40, 50, 55, 60, but also younger. There's a 16 division. There's a 14, a 12, a 10. Because the differences between those are so stark that you need to have age protections in place to make sure that athletes can compete on a fair level. I hope Natalie can do whatever it takes to live her life happily, but this is something that's beyond just being able to live her life to the fullest. Like Dave said, it may just be that unfortunately, because of the way you were at birth, you're excluded from competing in this level at the highest peaks in that division, not all divisions, because of that. And that sucks. But I understand where the athletes are coming from, where they're like, okay, in this case, you know, like you said, the swimming one, where it's like, well, she's leap years ahead. Yep. In this case, Natalie Ryan's not leap years ahead the rest of the division. 
but she's still really good, and I think other competitors are looking around warily like, what does this mean for us? And, it, and that's kind of like results-based thinking anyways, right? Because it's, it's like, it, it's almost neither here nor there in a way. Um, it shouldn't come down to that. But the sad truth is I think we're probably closer to, oh, Dave's not going to hear my great point. <laughs> Based on how things are going, and that's all I'll say, mm-hmm. because I don't want to get in trouble with what? this other thing, I could see age divisions being attacked <laughs> earlier than any of this saying, well, you can't have a division that separates this age and this age because that's ageist. And you're excluding me based on my age because we're seeing crazy examples of that already. And that's all I'll say. It is possible. <laughs> the only difference. And I think you're right. It could definitely still be a discussion is that the people in those divisions want those divisions. Sure. Yeah. And it and, shouldn't and, and be in this attacked. case. They don't. Some players yeah. don't want Natalie playing because of what it could mean about the competition. In those cases, most of the people who are fifty-five plus, are like, yeah, I don't want somebody who's thirty in my division. Yeah. And this happens in the World Series of Poker too, and that's a skill game with luck. But there's also virtually no. There's no physical difference, right? Like maybe men have more stamina for those twelve-hour sessions, but in general, that's a pretty level playing field. But guess what? The World Series has a ladies-only event, and that event is controversial sometimes. What they settled on was, okay, if men want to play in this event, you can. You're going to pay 10 times as much to enter. So it's $1,000 for women to enter. It's $10,000 for men to enter. And some men have. But in general, that becomes such a return on investment problem where they're like, all right, fine, whatever. I won't yeah. bother. So they kind of put inner protection, even though technically men can join the event. My prediction, though, is it'll be someone who's 38 or 39 being like, don't exclude me from the 40 plus. Like, I want to go because it would be, no offense, the easier division, right? That's what it's there for. Yeah. Um, you know, I do take issue sometimes in Orange Theory. This is such a um, minute story. If I do really well, um, Dave, as you know, I'm fighting to be first in the entire class and everything. So when they do, when I get the best score in the class, but then they put me like, oh, yeah, like the 35 and above. I'm like, no, don't do that. Because you can put me in the 18 to 25, and I'm still number one. This makes it look not as impressive. Um, so I, so maybe the loss is going to come from me. Wow. We've really come full circle. <laughs> I realized something today. Don't put me in a box. What do you think, Dave? I think it makes a lot I, of sense. <laughs> I can only imagine the shit you said about my comments when I had to bolt immediately. Because, I actually you know, said you had a lot of great points. Um okay. And he was sad you weren't here to hear his great point, but he didn't uh, you know, but you made it for the best point, so it's fine. Uh, no, it's uh, I mean, Sean, you your drive of making up slights is Jordan esque, and that's the best compliment <laughs> I can give you. Yeah, it's kind of apt, actually. I think he thrives on that. I do. I t- did I tell you the story about like I um all the coaches were like, can they, they formed a team as we're getting ready for the outro here. And they were like, we're going to win. But like, I haven't really gotten along with the coaches lately. So I was like, I'm going to come in. I'm going to win this, this uh, competition and it's going to ruin everybody's day. And it drove me and I did win. And it did seem to ruin everyone's day. They were all a little downcast. And I was like, great. This is perfect. <laughs> fuck you. Uh, fuck you. Especially fuck you. This is great. So glad you can take so much joy in other people's pain. <laughs> well, you know, they slighted me first. So no, that's, it it's matter. not that it wasn't deserved. Did they? They did. In this case, I felt like they did with certain things. I don't want to get in the whole backstory, but <laughs> okay. it didn't come in. Back in the day when it was all great coaches, I did not feel this way. 
now when a lot of the some of the coaches are great, some of them and their little minions are like really annoying and they've kind of created like their own little cliques. Um, and it's just like irritating. And that that's all. That's my that's my story. Hmm. All right. So <laughs> oh no they really did slide me well i felt like they slided me and it's like oh, no, 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 they no, slided they, him by they, existing they did they did they did they i don't well, know if they know that they did but you know like that, the, head, the, they did the culture changed dave you know what i'm saying it used to be a welcoming environment now it's not that so i'm like fine but they but they still want you know they're going to raise rates and they're going to not give us uh, repairs on equipment and they're going to do all this stuff, but also they're not, you know, you can come and go. They're not going to say hi. They're not going to take care of you. They're not going to build any sort of cultural camaraderie. So fuck them. That's it. And that's very general. There's a lot more. I'm not going to bore everybody with specifics of orange theory and Flagstaff, but yeah. Sounds too political for my liking. Just a taste. (laughs) Yeah, it's way too political, according to the last topic we just discussed. (laughs) Exactly. We've now crossed the line. Yeah, I I would have thought the other one would have done it, but no, it was this. This was the powder keg all along. (laughs) Yes. All right. That's the end of the episode. We'll be back next week. Dave's back in town. He's no longer vacationing. We might do a game show next week. I don't know. Cody has just arrived, so the dogs are barking, so it must be time to outro. I feel like we probably will do a game show. Well, like Whether one way it's or Jason another. or Cody, yeah. probably. Yeah. yeah. So I think you can plan on that. It's actually been almost three months since the last one, so it's been a minute. But I'll need a reminder as we get closer on like where this, where the stats are now. <laughs> All right. We'll so, do that before the next episode. So we have six of them. I'll double check. I'm pretty sure this is number seven coming up. Okay. And it's three wins for Dave, two for Sean, one for Guest, I think. Is Sean hat? Sean has two? I don't know. We'll double check. I the don't game. know. That's what I'm saying. We'll check the stats. Yeah. Meaning I will because nobody else fucking will. That's I the end of the episode. In between shows, you can find us on our website, objectionnetwork.com or youtube.com slash objectionnetwork for new episodes of Final Fantasy 16 that we had to re-record. We'll see you next time. All right, bye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.